Hello and welcome to Profoundly. I'm Pips Taylor and this is the Femme Foundry podcast. If you don't know us already, Femme Foundry is a one-stop digital space for anyone who identifies as a woman and is a place to discover, connect, belong, grow and thrive on your own terms. So on this podcast, we'll be bringing you special guests and leaders from Femme Foundry each week. They'll be sharing their stories with me, advice and inspirations. We've got everyone from entrepreneurs and business leaders to artists to activists. And nothing is off limits here. No fluff, no filters. Just real talk on the things that matter to us all, from the professional to the very personal, which is right up my street. I'm so excited about bringing you these real and honest conversations from our community. You can download the new Fem Foundry app wherever you get yours, and you can connect with the podcast guests and industry leaders, or you can take part in our academy sessions. And you can also join live events and access our mentorship opportunities. And it's all free. We can't wait to see you over there. Welcome to your new home. For our last episode of the season, we're joined by Saima Khan, personal chef and catering entrepreneur extraordinaire. Now, Saima is the perfect example of someone who took a leap of faith and transformed a chance opportunity into a hugely successful business. She was working in the city when a friend's private chef drops out of an event. So Saima stepped in, wowed everyone with her food and went on to build her own private catering company, The Hampstead Kitchen. Her clients include celebrities, business leaders and former presidents but it's the values behind the business that really stuck out for me giving back is at the heart of the Hampstead kitchen and the company does a huge amount of work supporting vulnerable people in the community feeding the homeless and donating up to 30% of profits to charity now after a really tough couple of years for the food industry Simon's here to share her amazing story talk us through how she pivoted her business to adapt to the new normal and of course give us her tips on curating the perfect party atmosphere. Well, Saima, thank you so much for coming on Profoundly. I'm really excited to to talk to you all about your illustrious career and, of course, the Hampstead Kitchen. Uh, Now, I know that you actually started out in a really different industry, didn't you? Uh, You worked on Wall Street. Um, What was the world of working in finance like? The thing is, if you're a daughter of uh, immigrant parents, um, that was the normal route, you know, study hard, make something of yourself. Um, so at the time when I went into banking, it was just the norm. People just kind of, you know, um, especially in the culture, I mean, if you're British, you come from a culture where, you know, you finish your education, you work a little and you get married. So I think I... You know, everybody was. Um, I was. I, I wasn't to banking when it was very, very. Um, you, you got huge bonuses. You did very well. Um, so, I mean, I guess like everybody, you just work hard, play hard, and so you didn't. There was never this option of you follow what you want to do or anything. People were just quite focused on making money, being quite successful, getting qualified. Um, now, I mean, everything is different. There's so many different choices back back then. Everybody was just work hard, you know, keep moving forward. So you were around very, very successful people. Um, but 
they always fall in, fell into two bank at sort of sort of two sides either people who were just completely consumed by money or people who were using the money to travel and do various things i mean did you enjoy your time in on wall street yeah i did i mean i've i've i've, I've enjoyed banking i mean you read in the in the articles people just kind of slate their previous process and so they hated their job and hated the hours but the fact of the matter is i wouldn't be successful in my business if i hadn't done that so i'm still in good um, you know i've even actually hard time consulting at a hedge fund in, in in new york just because in the pandemic everything came to a complete halt um and my nerdy part of my brain was missing that kind of um side um so i kind of went back to it just for kind of fun but it actually kept me afloat so this is a thing that people don't realize when you have a business the hustle that you have to do and a lot of people want to pretend that this they're the serene swan on this lake but actually when you look at all people's businesses the ones that are truly truly successful people are doing so much behind the scenes and this is what no one talks about <laughs> Abs- no absolutely and this is why we want to talk about it so much on Fem Foundry as well because it's so important to have that that real honest open conversation because i feel you know you're right people do you know, you do sort of look and you think, oh my God, wow, they're achieving so much and they're doing everything in their business area. But actually what goes on behind closed doors in terms of the support that people um, are getting and maybe the other jobs that they've got to try and support themselves through, you know, through launching businesses, etc. When you moved over into into becoming a chef um, and you sort of went steps in when a friend's private chef had cancelled, can you sort of, can you t- tell us about that day and how it happened? Because it, it sort of seems like one of those really life-changing moments even though it might have seemed really normal for you at the time that sort of put you on a different path I mean that was a random thing that happened but I don't think that was a catalyst and such because when I get asked this, I mean that particular day was I think it's all about confidence because I I used to host dinner parties at my house all the time so even now I have friends who shudder at the thought of even having four people at the house so I just I just helped out but I just thought, like, this, let's get into a professional zone. Rather than show, oh, I'm helping out, I'll pretend that I'm a professional chef so that um, I think it will add to the occasion. So people had no idea who I was, where I came from. Um, and so they completely bought into it because they loved the service, they loved how it was styled. And I think um, that just showed me that I could do it and I enjoyed doing it. But I think... It wasn't until later on when I had this chance meeting with my um, the boss of where I was working, where things completely changed. And it's just like, I think we self-limit ourselves. And even in the pandemic, we think we can't do something. Something's not going to go our way. And well, you won't know until you try, you know. And so my thing is, I always just like, let's just give this a go and see what happens. Let's give this a go. I keep moving forward. I, I really love that story because I think it really shows how much we should believe in ourselves and, we're, you know, we're able to take risks. And I think there are so many stats out there about how, you know, badly women can suffer from imposter syndrome and now we're being much more open about it and, you know, how things can actually hold us back. Did you experience anything like that or were you very much like, let's just go for it? I think. It's about staying in your own lane, like really understanding that what you're creating, is there a market for it? So I went more on the, I went more in terms of understanding if there was a gap in the market or not, right? And so I realized that, okay, you had people at Ottolenghi who were paving the way for the whole sharing concept. Um, this is way before he had his restaurants and stuff. And um, 
So he was like the pioneer of, you know, him and Samit Amimi are the pioneers of actually kind of creating that whole kind of sharing platter concept. Um, but there wasn't anybody translating that into the cage, private catering world. So it's about, I think with any business, it's a saturated business. So you could be a florist, you could be a chef, you could be a caterer, you could be an actor. Um, it's a very saturated business. So what actually makes you stand out it is your own dna nobody can replicate that so then you have to understand what is it that you're bringing to the table so you know i realized that people like my anecdotes they like my storytelling there were so many stories but you know people that you meet i mean i go into so many people's houses there's some weird and wonderful stories that i get involved in and obviously because we keep it quite private um you know people respect us and, and trust us but going back to your question i think I think the issue is that when you start comparing yourself, there's always going to be someone who's way more successful than you. Um, and so I think in Instagram, I tend to have people, I have a community of women who have got amazing small businesses, but we're not competing with one another. We kind of like support one another. That's important. And But people compare themselves and think, oh, she's doing this. And you don't realize What's happening behind someone's doors for them to become that successful? But you sit in your bedroom looking at people's stuff. Um, so I never had imposter syndrome. I just owned it in a very humble way. But um, I, I had to learn that there was also a lot of people whose businesses weren't doing so well. And there was a lot of, not, I wouldn't say hate, a lot of jealousy that was coming through. And people, and there's a lot of that, all my friends experience that, but nobody openly talks about it, unfortunately. And it is quite draining. What kind of negativity did you, have you experienced? Because I actually read one of your Instagram posts recently um, and you said, you know, actually you've had to sort of stop talking about the amount of work that you're doing currently because you've had a bit of negative comment of like people saying, where are you getting all this work from? So look, everybody works hard. Some people's businesses have... I mean, it's a lot of luck, but you have to mitigate those risks because obviously I'm in the risk space. The risk is that, you know, what's missing? So in the pandemic, the social bubbling and I got so much press coverage. It was such a fun idea because people were tired of delivery and all these sort of delivery services. So the thing is, you have to innovate your business according to what's changing around you. But the issue was that there were other people who had restaurants. I was and I was um, like one of the biggest restaurant groups in London. You know, um, um, can I, how are you getting all this business? And like, you're like really perplexed. And I'm like, this, this is a very odd question to ask. And I said, well, this is what I do. And obviously people, it's resonating with people. And it was just, I would never, ever ask somebody such intricate questions. And then there were other people who had restaurants that closed down. And then you found people were befriending you because they wanted to come into your kitchen. We don't allow anybody who's not an employee of the Hampstead kitchen to come to our kitchen. I mean, it is food that we're doing, but it's the way we style, the way we make our food. Yeah, it's your identity. It's your creativity. Like you're not, obviously you're not going to go and share that with just anyone. But I'm just really surprised surprised and in the times where we've really need we've all had to pivot you know what you want is you know you want people to sort of support you and obviously maybe that's like a bit of naivety but at the same time it's like we've all been through a, a very difficult and a very 
sort of trans, you know, transitional period. So to see someone doing well out of that, I'll be like, oh my God, good for you. You know, it, it's it's something to celebrate and to kind of look up to, not to kind of bring someone down and question it. People, I mean, I, I have a side um, uh, business where I help with sort of brand, brand mentoring and helping. So I help quite a few people who reached out and said, this is my small, small business. I have no idea. And I've made so many friends. So there's a positive side to this as well. Like I've, this, uh, I arranged a dinner, uh, dinner recently, just meeting all these different people who had the same issues and um, people are very you know clients are frustrated sometimes people are frustrated on the road and they take out their anger it's not at you directly people are just so pent up and so I think the same happens with businesses I mean in a nutshell um don't want to go harping on too much about it but base I think I tried out something it, it may or may not have worked in this case it did work right even for Christmas we've just made a decision that with COVID rising let's just keep parties very small make sure we keep our staff safe and whatever it's not always about sort of chasing for money and becoming successful I think you've got to also morally do the right thing but um I think it's about uh, I think it's about not getting distracted by whatever is going on on social media. What is your business? What are you trying to achieve? Um, I don't go out searching for, um, you know, that I need to be part of a tribe. I think you create your own tribe and you find people just gravitate towards that. So I'm all for supporting people who are really hardworking. I, I helped do a packaging of one of the biggest um, chains. Um, and we're very good friends and, he said, like, why are you, we could, we could put this on social media and tell that you're so involved in this. I said, no, but we don't, I don't need to. Um, not that I'm scared of the uh, sort of jealousy or whatever. I don't need to associate with that because it will dilute my brand. So I'm happy to help you. But, you know, my clients who are private, share, um, private uh, guests, they might get like, what, what, is she going to the restaurant world or whatever? So, And it's also such a it's such an important point there that obviously that you recognise and you understand your business so well because it is your business. Therefore, there's no need to, as you say, step into these other lanes when they're not really that relevant. Um, now, I know you've you've had a really long list of famous clients in the past, um, you know, extraordinary people like Elon Musk, the Obamas, Brad and Angelina. Bill Gates, is it especially nerve-wracking working for such big names or is it just all part of part of what you do? I think initially my first dinner party that I did with the Gates and when the, all these Zuckerberg, all these people, and I was like, what is going on? But after that, I just think we're just people who just want to connect over food. Recently, we cooked for quite a lot of A-listers at COP26, new uh, A-listers, some I can mention, some I can't. But David, David Attenborough was fun. And at the end of the day, it's just people breaking bread enjoying food so now I'm so because we've, we've cooked for such you know we've cooked for so many different types of people so whether it's people in Hampstead like a, a, a sort of I did a business dinner the other weekend and they were joking and laughing and said I bet this is a step down and said absolutely not because I honestly treat everybody exactly the same. That's what I love about dinner parties and about food like you know my husband and I we absolutely love cooking and hosting and it is it is that connection over food and having amazing food and recipes and stories is just it's it really excites me you must have heard some incredibly interesting conversations over the years I mean one one uh, of course and then obviously sometimes now that I'm in this um other consultancy role I was cooking for a bunch of uh, hedge fund managers and I had to step in and said you know it will be a conflict of interest 
interest because I work for so-and-so and they were just like shocked. He goes, are you a spy? I'm like, no, no, I'm actually, this is my, this is my main hustle. That's my side hustle. Um, and they were just shocked. I said, oh my God, that's the most hilarious thing. So like, you can't talk shop because, you know, that'll be, that'll be interest. There's funny things that happen, but I just love how people light up because, if you look at if you look at the private chef, it's just usually guy in a white. It's usually men in a white white jacket, quite serious, and it's three plate. It's a beautiful, smudgy kind of beautifully presented food. I just create mountains of food. So equally, when you go to the table, there's nothing white, no white plates, no three or four forks. So when people see that much color, I did a dinner party this weekend, and it was black tablecloth, black napkins, black plates, black curry and just like brass and lots of rich reds and grapes and um, pomegranate and they came and the food wasn't even on the table and they were just getting excited and so that's what I like when you turn things on its head. And you're sort of you're setting the seed and you're creating that environment for those conversations to kind of go ahead you know you're creating that atmosphere and it's I think it's honestly it's such a gift you've clearly got a real, a, a real art for it. What do you think your experience in finance has given you as an entrepreneur within this industry? Well you end up being very goal orientated so you do everything with a you do everything with a purpose and um and our staff go over and beyond to make sure that it's a pleasurable experience so the clients we typically cater for have are used to going to high events but they switch off they don't remember the service they don't remember what they've eaten it's the same mozzarella with basil and tomato and sticks so your your sensory brain just switches off because nothing's nothing new it's pleasant but it's nothing new and i recently went to a cocktail party and i obviously you know, it's beautiful champagne, but the most boring food I've ever experienced in my life. And um, it didn't engage you and the staff are not talking to you. And I just remember, and then I just made me think that what we do is quite unique because we really want to tell the story of the food. We have a dip called the Obama dip. It's so stupid, but it was named by Michelle Obama. We tell that not not to name drop, but it's just a very funny story. It's a yogurt dip with some um, caramelized onions and garlic and spinach. And unfortunately, we served it in front of Trump when he was here in London. And on the menu, so the Obama dip, he was totally annoyed. And then we're looking around for something orange, you know, like what can we call? <laughs> and in the end, we said, oh, I'm, you know, sir, the chicken is Trump Royale. And, you know, it, it makes for a funny, funny story. We might start the evening um, not name dropping, just telling people what we've done. But then we offset it with the charity stuff that we do so that we ba- everything is about balance. Our food is about balance. Our service is about balance. You can't come across as a company that's just talking about who I cook for because then it's just like it wouldn't be very, very um it wouldn't it wouldn't be very classy. So we 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 talk about the people who we work who work with us. Um we hire a lot of refugees, ex-homeless people to work with us. Um and I like putting that weaving that into the story. That's really important to me. Yeah, I, I really want to get onto your philanthropic work because it's such a huge part of I suppose you and your your company uh, and giving back seems to be a really huge part of your business as well. And is it right that for every 100 people that you cater for, you feed between 30 and 40 hungry people in your local community and around the world? I would say we probably more than that. I think for every dinner that we do, every dinner that we're doing right now, um, 
um, we it goes to we take a percentage that goes to feeding a family for a whole week. Right now, those are the stats, but also we take all the leftovers um, and create them into um, meals. And we have I have my own sort of van, and we just give it out in the evening. Or we actually donate some of the sort of um, food to organisations that do an open kitchen on the weekend where people come in to eat. Um, recently, I had a refurb and in my own home. We just gave uh, a lot of stuff like beds and um, linen um, to new refugees coming in. Um, even things like um, um, crockery and um, things like graters. You wouldn't think to buy your own grater, but things like graters and bowls and things like that. So, yeah, and then we, our clientele are very, very generous. So they like the story. They realize their guests have had something really, a, a lovely, memorable experience. It's not a boring private catering. And then, you know, they would do a donation. I mean, this, this um, during the pandemic, I never put this on social media, but um, it, we, we, we ended up getting uh, um, six figures in just donations. There were so many people. So I have high in clientele, but they're also... They give a lot of money. I got 50000 this weekend from a client that I was doing. Um, what sort of what work are you doing this, um, this year? They know every winter, that every Christmas, even before I was in this food business, I would do half the day would be for charity and then half the day I would meet up with my family for Christmas dinner. And that's a tradition I've carried on for probably over 20 years now. That's quite important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this sort of like philanthropic um, side, which I feel is it's part of your, you know, it's part of your DNA. Um, and even in the pandemic, I'm, you know, you fed over, is it 40,000 kids and, fam- and families, which is just absolutely phenomenal, Simon. You saw that in the pandemic, that it's all very well if you're, you know, it, most of us could work from home if we were doing that kind of role. But a lot of people had sort of special key workers, they had to go out in order to put food on the table. I still have stuff like that. If they don't work, they're not going to be able to put food on their table. I'm not talking about my sort of front of house staff, like my my, my waiters and waitresses are obviously a little bit more high end because they're, they're um, quite qualified and quite experienced. We're talking about the people behind the scenes. And so at the end of the day, this is a business that creates revenue and income for a lot of people. And I'm, that's one thing I'm really, really proud about. It's not just a business that has, um, it's not a vanity project. And there's a lot of people that have vanity project. You know, I need my business in order to put my lights um, lights on. So it makes you work that but much harder. But your business is just not about you. You're not consumed by yourself. You also have a moral duty to look what's happening in your community. And that's just not me doing I think all of us need to have that kind of responsibility. It's really important. Yeah, I think, and I think also now more than ever, it's really important to have that sort of social awareness. And it's also something that Fem Foundry is really about in terms of you know giving back and, and and showing people how they can make a social impact if they're not really sure how they can, and you know also paying it forward to to, to people that necessarily wouldn't get um, opportunities. And I think it's just it's such an important thing to talk about and to raise awareness of. Um, one of the things that I want to touch upon, which you have briefly mentioned is obviously you operate a zero waste policy how important was it 
that um how important for you is it to have that side of of the business and and when did you decide to start doing that oh I grew up in a house where nothing went up in um you know um we didn't really do I mean we didn't really do takeaways so my dad would open a can of baked beans and put sort of curry powder and coriander and chilies and we'd we'd eat that so I grew up in that kind of household where you know, you you open your fridge and whatever's there, you create it into a meal. So I, I wanted that sort of um, to carry on forward. I mean, I, I rarely order food from outside. Um, I'll even when I come home as a chef, I, I have no food in my fridge, but I'll always find a you know a, a can of chickpeas and I'll just throw some spices in and just you know eat, eat have that for dinner. Um, and we do that in our in our in our work as well. So when we cook for clients, we will ask them, "Are you going to be in tomorrow?" Okay, I'm going to leave you some some food. If there's tons left over, I will say to them, "We will take this part because we can donate it to the homeless tomorrow or this evening." Um, and they like that. I, I don't want my food thrown in the bin. There's an Arabic word called baraka, which means abundance. And so, and then we have this word called baraka that comes stems from that. And they say that when you don't, when you waste food, you're wasting the baraka from your home. You're wasting the blessing. So, and in our kitchen as well, you're not supposed to have step on rice or bread because that's showing, that's just, just the most staple piece of food like when you look at pictures of any refugee camp what's being handed out it's always bread it's always rice because it fills you up so if you can have the basic respect of uh, you know something so simple um I believe that it's brought lots of blessings into my business because I am quite spiritual that way I believe that whatever you give out it comes back twofold and I have absolutely seen that in my business completely there are people who I think Look, look, we'll just, you know, there's a lot of people coming from a place of fear. There's so many unknowns. We're still not out of the pandemic. I think once we're out, we'll see exactly how much damage. We're still in the eye of the storm as far as I can see. And we're just trying to make sure that we're standing up. I think that even in that, when you're struggling, um, if you can still do something, it's better than doing nothing. We had all these food orders with our farmers. If I cancel those orders they're not going to be able to survive, right? So all those um, parties were cancelled. What do we do with the food there? That food was still being sent to the, you know, food banks because there were still people who needed to eat food. So, okay, fine. It meant that money was coming out of my account, you know, out of my um, business with no money coming in. But actually, when it came back, those those people that we kept afloat have now given us, you know, um, some of the best rates. Um, so it is about paying it forward because it does come back to you. You're going to see, understand that you're part of the chain because so many people did do very harsh things um, behind the scenes, and um, and now that those now that their business is doing well, they're now wondering why where are all the suppliers gone? Well, you weren't, you didn't really help them out in in the time they need to so it's understanding where you fit into the process which is a small peg in a very very big sort of um complex puzzle and machine exactly and you have to you know not everything is about profit and loss it's about also doing the right thing and we well uh, as a business we always try our best to strive to do morally the right thing um with our clients with our staff with our suppliers because um we all need we in order to thrive in life we all need to be doing well we can't just be 
thinking about ourselves. I think living in uh, living in London, I feel like people don't. There's a lot of people who there's a perception that people kind of, there is a support and there is a support. Don't get me wrong. There is a ton of support, but I think there needs to be a bit more, especially around women. And I, I want to just touch on, um, I know you've mentioned that you have, um, you've employed many people in the past who have been homeless or refugees, um, ex-offenders for whom there can be a lot of barriers to find employment. Do you think other businesses and industries should and could be doing more to be more inclusive within their, their hiring? I think that already there's quite a lot of business Businesses who already do that. I mean, there are businesses which require qualifications. I mean, there are some of these some of these refugees are very qualified, but you know, it's about it's the system is slightly against them. I mean, I focus more on people who want to go to the creative side of the business. So, I've donated plates to uh, a guy who was an ex-refugee who set up a um, Syrian brunch supper club. I know. I think it's about. I think it's about exposure. I think I always tell my clients that. You know, some people have a set idea of what a refugee person is. Some they don't realize some of them are very educated. They are they can do a client-facing role. So I think it's about exposure. I go and meet people so I know what caliber of people they are and where they could work. But I think if you have a business, it's really up to you to go and find out that no one's going to come to you. So I think as a business, as a founder, as a CEO, you need to make that decision about hiring different types of people because it brings a lot of different dynamics into your team. If you hire people from the same demographic, the same gender, the same age, it's just going to be one one sort of view of your business you're not going to bring any sort of different angles you're not going to have that that diverse experience and different kind of uh you know in different cultures sort of impacting and bringing ideas to the table and I think that's something that's so important uh it's so it's so important um I just want to touch on um obviously as a as a very successful entrepreneur if anyone is listening and is thinking about uh starting their own business or is sort of you know needs that extra kind of push what advice would you give to someone who uh is potentially listening and who wants to kind of either get into the food industry or 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 start their own business first question why are you doing it because a lot of people's reasons for doing it is not correct so um you know so I think I understand what it is that you want to do and I would never ever tell someone to leave their job and then start a business to do it as a side hustle um thinking about doing something actually doing it is two different things so I would always say to somebody do your research do a business plan even when you do all of those things, there's no guarantee. You've got to be made of harder stuff. I mean, there's a lot of people who doubled in business. It takes, a, you know, they say it takes many nights to become an overnight success, right? Nothing happens like this. So you've got to have that staying power. You've got to have that. You've got to have a plan. And um, so business plan, your reasons for doing it and setting your goals correctly. Um, you can't do it because so-and-so, your friend has got a coffee shop, so you'd like, a, you'd like a coffee shop or you think it's quite cute because it's not just you making the coffee behind the scenes, can you do the orders? So people look at the, the client-facing side, people think my job is really glamorous, right? 
but it, it, it isn't. I'm doing, I'm doing the shopping for my food. I'm going and talking to my suppliers, making sure the fish and chicken is okay. By the time I go to the client's house, I've done all the cooking and shopping and whatever. I'm so drained, but I can't let my client see that, right? So that seems like the sexy part of your business is like the client-facing role, but there's so much that has to happen. And so I'm working from Thursday to Sunday. Monday is like paying my staff, doing all my chores, getting the kitchens correctly, um, sort of cleaned up and ready to go. Then I start to, um, my weekend starts on on a Monday late afternoon and then I'm I'm just fast asleep then. So people need to, people need to see the, they need to talk to other people who are in the business and really find the nitty gritty. It's about arming yourself with as much information. So when you go into it, you know exactly what the good and bad and the ugly part of it is. I want to just talk a little bit about food because we are heading into party season and obviously the festive season. Um, what what around this, uh, what, what would you say your signature dish is when you're cooking and hosting at home? For my clients, I think our Persian stroke Middle Eastern um, sharing banquet is really, really special. So it's always slow cooked lamb that's been marinated for 36 hours. It's thing like the Obama dip. Then we have like a um, a really interesting mohamara, which is a roasted red pepper dip that's got walnuts, breadcrumbs and pomegranate molasses. Um, and then we do like a jeweled rice that's got um, lots of fresh herbs, honeyed um, nuts. I think visually those three things tend to look really, really nice. And we do a really lovely uh, Middle Eastern salad, which is like a roasted um, zatar aubergine with fresh green and red peppers with parsley, mint, pomegranate molasses and smoked almond. So it's quite fresh. It's nothing is stodgy. Like I don't tend to have the typical things like bread rolls and potatoes. I just want things lots of different dips. So we do a thing called kashke badamjan, which is um, smoked um, uh, aubergine with um, the whey that's left over from um, making lebne, which is like a strained yogurt. And that has like fried onions and then fresh mint and walnuts. Um, so it's, and then those are the things that people enjoy, like Mirza Kazimi is another thing. It's like smoky, again, smoky aubergine um, and um, tomato with then scrambled eggs in it. Sounds delicious. Literally making my mouth water. I'm sure if you're listening, your mouth water is also watering. You're thinking, I need to, I need to get cooking. Um, obviously, you mentioned that you know earlier that actually, as a chef, when you sometimes when you come home, you have an empty fridge. What is your favourite comfort food to cook at home when it's sort of cold and dark outside? Um, like what I cooked yesterday, actually, I had boiled rice and I had um, coconut milk and I just threw some prawns in with some curry leaves and some, it's like a South Indian type of prawn curry. It's just comforting, but it's also very quick um, because the last thing I want to do is be in the kitchen. Prawn curry is my favourite, Simon, by the way. It's my absolute favourite. I love cooking it and eating it. So that sounds like epic. <laughs> so I have that. Oh, if I'm lucky, um, my mother um, normally puts lots of uh, containers in my fridge. So her mince lamb curry um, with um, sort of like a really lovely dal with um, lots of coriander and chilli. But yeah, a lot of people have been asking me um, um, about dinner parties because people aren't doing going very small this Christmas. There's not very, you know, no one's doing massive drinks or canapes. And I just say to people, just make the food, just roast a chicken, maybe have a dip, some bread and some rice. And just don't, 
you know, really focus on having a great time. Don't stress about the food. If you can make one thing right, just make the one thing. And Simon, where did your love of food come from? Is it something that you were always brought up with? Or is it something that's kind of more has, has evolved throughout your kind of life, I suppose? Um, I think I think how you brought up with food has a lot to do with it. I think we all enjoy food. So I think for me, I like um, the... I like the etiquettes around food. So we grew up, we had a huge dining table and we would always have friends over for Sunday lunch. And my mum just putting platters of food in the middle of the table and then everybody's sitting there for hours. That's the part that I love. And um, I have like a tiny apartment, but I have um, a huge table. And I love when my um, my parents or my, my brother and my sister-in-law come Everybody's got their favorite dishes and we've just put loads of platters of food. Someone's got lamb, someone's got chicken, someone's got like vegetarian. Um, so for me, I like the whole, and it's really interesting that I see my nephew and niece and they now love everybody getting together. There's just that togetherness on the table. You can do it sit together on the sit in, in, in the living room because someone's sitting over there. And but on the table, you're all sat together. There's a bit more. It's a bit more focused, right? And it's more special. You know, it's more of an occasion. And it, it, you know, you actually you can sit and you can engage and you can see people. And you know, I think it's it's so important for us as humans and for us as people to have to have that experience. Uh, it it really is. Um, now, Simon, I just want to. Um, talk to you about our um, pillars at Femme Foundry, which are financial health, physical health, spiritual health and mental health. Uh, So we always ask our guests uh, what their top tips are for each of those pillars and what works for them. Uh, So as your ex-finance, let's start off with, well, current and current finance, let's start with financial health. Uh, What sort of tips uh, can you offer us to to be financially well? Cash flow. So look at People with your card being put on all these different apps now, so many people don't realize where the money is going out. Nobody that I know very rarely look at their bank statements. A friend of mine said, I'm hemorrhaging so much money on Deliveroo. Help. I said, first of all, let's just get off um, the app, you know, and he was spending like 600 pounds a month wow. on just That's lunches and whatever. So then I just like, I think people, you need to sit back and have a, have a look at where your money is going. If you have the money, great. But if you're looking to save money, especially in this time, it's about being a squirrel. It's about sort of storing your nuts because you don't know there's so many unknowns. You could lose your job and so many people are hand to mouth. Like if you lost your job today, I'm not sure that some people can pay their mortgage and that scares me. So I always believe that actually sometimes, even me, um, I, I, I think I'm sometimes I make a rule not to spend any money on even buying coffee or so like, let's just build a reserve and then I can go and treat myself, you know? So I think my biggest thing is look at your cash flow, look at where you're spending your money, download your bank statement on a spreadsheet, categorize it and look at how much money you're spending on food. And I mean, there's lots of lovely apps now. Klarna is a really good app where if you like spending money, it tells you where you're spending your money. You know, how many jumpers have you bought? <laughs> how many jumpers have you bought? <clears throat> and I love it. It tells you, you bought four jumpers this, this uh, over two months. Like, really? Okay. That's I'm a lot. Not... Yeah. <laughs> that's, you're that's very cosy. You're very cosy. <laughs> but you're like, yeah, hang yeah. on a minute. Did I need all four of them? <laughs> so yeah. ca- cash flow, like you think, oh, it's only 10 pounds. That, that starts to add up. So, but yeah, the, you know, people... 
people need to treat themselves. I get that. But I think create a reserve um, so that if anything unforeseen happens, you can actually cover it up. So there's a lot of people who've exposed them. I mean, obviously, I'm in risk, so I try and mitigate as much risk as possible in my personal and my professional life. I'm also curious, obviously, coming from a you know financial background in terms of um, you know making investments and 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 that side of things. Have you would you feel comfortable offering any? Um, I suppose advice or pointers of where to go if people are considering, you know, if, if if you know you're listening and thinking actually I have got some money aside, what should I be doing with it? So the biggest thing, biggest asset you can have is having a financial advisor. We have tax accountants, we have an accountant, a financial advisor. I mean, even when I was buying this apartment, you know, how much could I afford if if things go belly up or belly if things are better? I want I don't want to have to downsize. So he then told me, okay, this is the maximum you should go for looking at what how much you know cash or asset other assets you have so a financial advisor would always know what's happening in the market how easy is it to get a mortgage um i don't think you know what works for somebody else is not going to work for you and that's the issue we're at, we're looking around oh that person's got this asset but it might not work for you because you've got a different structure. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Thank you. Um, And let's talk about mental health. How do you safeguard your mental health? So I did it by two. So, you know, in a week, I know my triggers are getting tired. I know that if I don't train three times a week, minimum three times a week, I start to go loopy. I had to babysit my nephew and niece last week, which I absolutely adore. But um, I got there earlier than than I was supposed to. And I was so annoyed that I could have slept more. I could have trained. So I think you've got to find it's so easy to be caught by, you know, working or helping out others or just being busy. I think you need to find out what you need, what your pillars are. So I know that I need to have, I need to be switched off from the, I have no notifications on my phone. I'm switched off. Um, and then I just actually, throughout the day, check my emails. I don't let these things control me. I have to be in control. But sleep is really important to me and working out because it keeps all the endorphins running in my head. And the week that I don't do that, it has a very, very bad impact on my health. Not letting things control you. That's the biggest advice I would give. That's, And I think it's such good advice because actually it's when we're busy and we're overwhelmed that actually things like that, they, they they seep in and you don't put the blocks down. You don't put the barriers down because you're so, you're sort of, we're whizzing. You, you know, I'm, I always describe myself as a bit of a buzz artist. You know, you're buzzing around at a million miles an hour. But actually, what you need to do is is, is take the time to, to slow down and to recognise what, as you say, what is triggering and, and what's not. So I think that's such good advice. Thank you for that. Let's move on to physical health. Um, you mentioned that you love working out. What kind of exercise do you enjoy doing? So I, I had COVID really badly last year. Couldn't even walk five steps. I had loads of lung issues. So I started training with somebody um, just to get my health. I just want to get fit. And I turned 50 this year as well. Congratulations. Happy birthday. Thank you. So I couldn't really um, celebrate my 50th because we were still in uh, lockdown. So that was the irony. I do so many dinner parties and I couldn't really do much myself. And so I actually want to celebrate my 50th next year. And so I'm just trying to, it's not about losing weight as such. It's more about I just want to be able to breathe properly. I don't want to be wheezy. Um, unfortunately, with the cold weather, um, I'm, I'm still having to use an aid uh, oxygen tank in order to breathe when I have a horrible night. So when I train now, 
what it, what I just look for, I mean, I found a really amazing guy who just understands my brain and um, who just pushes me to kind of be the best version. And he's also very um, driven um, and that helps me um, drive myself. And I feel like I'm invested in myself again. So it's not about just joining a gym. It's just finding whatever works for you, whether it's a walk, whether it's boxing. I think it just releases another set of hormones in your body. It's sort of, be, you know, you, you produce less cortisol, more oxytocin um, and endorphins, which is obviously really good for your physical and mental state. So it's really transformed my life. I feel like a, another human being. That's good. That's what we want to hear, you know. And finally, spiritual health. You did mention that you are quite a spiritual person. Uh, how do you look after your spiritual health? What works? So I, I, I'm Muslim. I've, um, so I, I pray in the morning. And so people meditate, they do yoga. Um, and I do it just before dawn. It's called Fajr. Um, and I have a window that overlooks, like I can see the London Eye and the Shard. So often when I pray, you know, it just makes you, it just centers you in the morning. So even when I'm having a crazy day, I mean, I can't be serene every single day. That's not also realistic, but I think it just helps you focus and be aligned and look at yourself in the bigger scheme of things. There's nothing, I can't control external factors. I couldn't control that I got COVID. I couldn't control whether my business was still going to survive. But at the end of the day, I can only do my best. And um, if I'm in, um, if I'm feeling grounded, I feel a little bit more like I've got armor on so that I can go into battle a bit. But it's it's when you don't have that quiet time in the morning or a moment during the day, you can't actually you can't actually face difficult situations. So for me, that spirituality just I'm able to look at things a bit more um, calmly. You know, and I'm good in the crisis management. If something's, you know, bad happening, like what happened last week, I can tell that you're good in a crisis just by literally just by talking to you because you are you're incredibly calm and you're, you you come across as very centered as well. Yeah, so like I've got parents who are away at the moment. My father's a bit unwell, and my mother was sort of freaking out. You know, they're okay now, but um, and it's like okay. You know, my mother's obviously caring for my father. So like, you're tired. You need to sleep. You need to drink water. If you do these things, you'll feel better. And lo and behold, that's exactly. We just, we all just need a bit more sleep and a bit more care, drink water. Honestly, if we all did that, I think we'd all feel a little bit more, a little bit more crowded. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. And also, but sometimes we need the reminder as well. So I think also a big thank you to you for that reminder today, because I think at every point that you've given us, you know, some of your words of wisdom, it's come with also, uh, you know, a really good sort of self-care message in a way you know Simon thank you so much for chatting to us it's been such a pleasure to chat to you and I really appreciate you giving up your time because I know that you're really busy and this is a very busy season for you uh, so it is much appreciated uh, I just want to finally ask did you manage to download the app I did yes I started having looking in last night yes what do you think of it I think it's really good I think um, it's really needed right now I think um, if you can somehow connect to people where yeah, I think people are feeling a bit lost. Um, people are feeling a bit like, and um, um, what I, if what I'm doing is good enough for my business? Or I think people are a bit, people are feeling a bit stuck. People I'm talking to, and I think if you can have something that reaches out to people and say, like, you know, that you can partner people up with. I mean, that's I get people who contact me on Instagram all the time saying, "What advice can you give? This is how I'm feeling." And I'll say, okay, how many hours are you working? 
first of all, take a day off, you know. How can I take it if you go to take a day off? You do that. Just why don't you just watch something on Netflix, order some nice food, do something, and then let's talk in a couple of days' time. Often that's what we just need, you know. Um, so I think an app can do that and just tell people that if however your feeling is, it's okay to feel that way. We need to normalize that rather than this is where you need to be and da, 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 da. so people feel that pressure you know all the time I think it's normalizing that and then also providing like the inf- infrastructure to have like genuine support and people who are genuinely there to you know to kind of help others and pay it forward and to and you know and to connect and as you say people are really isolated and I think you know if you if you know I'm with, with, with Femme Foundry it brings people together and uh, you know, connects people in in a new way. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you 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 like it. Thank you so much. Ah, the wonderful Simon Khan there on profoundly. Really loved chatting to her this week. And it seems suiting for this time of year to have a financial health pillar. And entrepreneur Philippa G is here to share her wisdom on the importance of planning and making sure you know where your money goes each month. I need to take note of this one. Planning planning is is so which is so funny because I hate planning <laughs> but I, it's it's so important it is so important and you know get those spreadsheets going it's um you know it's for me it's looking at the money going out where I know I'm needing to spend money over the next six months the next 12 months it's also looking at then where the money's coming in looking at um you know predictions from my customers from my you know my retailers and my bars um, and balancing them up and seeing if there's a shortfall that needs to be made up somewhere and how can I go about doing that or actually you know this month I know it's going to be a good month right so what do I need to do to invest back in my business this month it's planning and it's it's going at it with the right attitude Um, but yeah get, get the plan in place well a huge thank you to Simon and Philippa and of course all our guests on this first season of Profoundly as ever please do rate and subscribe to us we'd love to know what you think you can join us in our new Femme Foundry app where you can discover connect grow and thrive And we have our Profoundly podcast group in there where we continue all of these conversations from this series. You can also access our Academy sessions. Uh, We have sessions on everything from cryptocurrency to breathing for you, all in bite-sized chunks to digest at your leisure. Now have a lovely break and I'll be back in 2022 with more from Profoundly. A huge thanks for listening. And until next time, take care.